We're in the middle of a series. We're talking about the return, and uh, we've mentioned the importance of returning to the biblical Jesus, returning to the authentic word that is inerrant and infallible, and returning to the church. I mean, that's a good idea. And it implies that if there's a return, there's been a fallen away of sorts across the body of Christ in America. But today I want to talk to you about returning to holiness. So go with me over to Hebrews 12, verse 1. Hebrews 12, verse 1, and I want to read to you from the Amplified. This is the classic Amplified. And it says, Therefore then, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses who have borne testimony to the truth, let us strip off and throw aside every encumbrance, unnecessary weight, and that sin which so readily, deftly, and cleverly clings to and entangles us, and let us run with patient endurance and steady active persistence the appointed course of the race that is set before us. And you can see from this scripture, it's not just the outright sins, but it's also weights, things that are not profitable. If you've watched a marathon or you've even watched what I used to do, a competitive swim race, you don't go in there with all the clothing you can wear. You don't put all the jewelry you can wear and you don't put all the things on top of yourself, you know, to slow you down. You strip everything off so you can be streamlined and you can be actually fast. Now, I never did this. Everybody say, Pastor never did. <clears throat> but a lot of my swimmer friends would actually shave their legs and their head. <laughs> Isn't that right, Charlie? Amen. Praise the Lord. And uh, they just wanted to slip right through the water. And then out of that came the development of what they call uh, shark skin suits that actually mimic that kind of uh, you know, situation. Well, they did that to be streamlined. And what's happened in the body of Christ is, in the, especially the past couple of years, is people have gone out and picked weights back up again and picked things up they used to do that God delivered them from, sins and things that were strongholds in their life. And the Lord is not here today to condemn you or to put you down, but to tell you, let go of those weights once again. Let go of those things that had you in bodies again and walk with the Lord. Return to a thing called holiness. Now let me differentiate for your benefit today righteousness from holiness. Jesus, because of what he did on the cross, took our sin and then gave you his righteousness. Righteousness is right standing with God because of what Jesus did. You don't earn your righteousness and therefore your mistakes have nothing to do with taking it away. But holiness is what we call applied righteousness. Because you are righteous, say it, I am righteous. He made me righteous. In fact, one of the greatest revelations you'll ever have is the fact that he made you righteous. He calls you righteous. He does not see you as unrighteous. He sees you as, as righteous. But that force of righteousness builds in you the ability to live a holy life. So when you say to yourself, well, I just can't live this life. I can't do this. It's just too hard. That's a cop out and that's a lie. Because the force of righteousness is on the inside of you, pushing you to do what is right, just like the force of sin used to be in you, pushing you to do wrong. Now, that's the difference between righteousness and holiness. Now, that said, listen to the defining uh, aspects of holiness. It means to have sacred, physically and morally pure, to be set apart from God, uh, set apart unto God, to be consecrated, innocent, modest, to be perfect in your conduct, befitting those who are separated out from the rest. Look at somebody and you say, you're supposed to be separated. Sanctification is involved in this process, and it simply means the progressive separation from the world and separation unto God for His purposes. How do you know that Christians ought to be different? Let me try that one more time. 
So I can get an amen past the second row. How many of you know Christians are supposed to be different? Not judgmental, not arrogant, not prideful, but different. We have our salvation and we have the power of the Spirit of God working in us. We ought to live differently, think differently, act differently, conduct ourselves differently from the world. We should stand out like a sore thumb. You're not called peculiar because you're weird. You're called peculiar because you're supposed to be distinct. And distinct by that holiness. Now, holiness includes holiness of spirit. You are never going to be more holy in your spirit man than you are right now. In fact, in your spirit man, you've been made perfect. It is the only fully sanctified, fully separated, and fully glorified aspect of your living being right now. That's what Jesus did. And if left to its own influence, it would always choose right, and eventually there'll be uniting of that spirit with a glorified body and a mind and a will and an emotions that are completely submitted to him. But right now, the spirit man is the only dimension of your life that is, in fact, fully glorified, fully sanctified, fully holy. That leaves a body that is not fully sanctified, that is not fully glorified, that is not fully separated. That leaves a soul that is not fully glorified, not fully sanctified, not fully separated unto God. Which means your mind and your will and your emotions and your body, that's where the war actually is for holiness. You should desire to be more separated in your body. You should desire to be more separated in your mind, your will, and your emotions. And God wants to help you out with that. It's not about do this or you're going to hell. It's about understanding the, the basic benefit of being a holy person. There's great benefits to being holy. Not just in the life to come, but in this life as well. Look at somebody and tell them, be holy, for he is holy. It's of the body, it's of the mind, it's of the will, it's of the emotions. And that's what God is wanting to do inside of you. I tell you, and I, and I say this just as, as boldly as I can, that no person's ever going to deal with deep issues of bondage in the flesh or bondages in the heart or bondages in the mind and, until they understand the, the application of the power of God to actually sanctify them in those areas. For example, you know, people think they can solve a thing called racism with politics or with money or with anger or with recrimination. That's not going to happen. Holiness, you know, racism is a holiness issue. And that's why you should never find a born-again believer who has any remnant of racism left in them. If you're born again. I never met my grandpa Hines. He was a coal miner and he died of black lung long before I ever came around. But when my dad was a little boy, he, he sat him on his knee and he said to him, him these words. He said, don't you ever judge anybody by the color of their skin. Don't ever do it. Now, this was long before, you know, many people understood this as an issue. But he told them, you know, this is a man probably who looked black most of his life. As they go in the coal mine, they come out late at night, they go back in the morning. This was his lifestyle. But he told them, don't you ever do that. So when my dad took a job at the Granite City Steel Mill, which incidentally was um, reactivated a couple of years ago, he worked there over the course of a summer. And uh, the first thing one of the workers told him, he goes, well, you college boys, you think you're so great. You know what happens? When that whistle blows, I just lay that shovel down. I don't have a care in the world as I go about my business. He goes, but when you get off work, you keep worrying about your job after you leave it. So I think I'm in a better position than you. He gave him a hard time. 
But there's another gentleman there that he worked in the, in the same area, a black gentleman who actually worked there and put all of his kids through college as he worked there. And my dad on that shift was assigned to that shift, and there's nobody else there that particular time in that department. And so at lunchtime, uh, my dad went over there to have, you know, lunch with this gentleman. The next day, the union boss came to him and said, don't you ever do that again. You will not eat with that man again, or you will lose your job. He said, well, I guess I'll just have to lose my job. And that black gentleman came to him begging him not to lose his job on his account. I'm going to tell you something. It's a matter of the heart. That's why when revival hits this nation, the racists will have nowhere to hide anymore. Once Jesus does this, they won't have a platform anymore. Because there are people that are raised that way, they're taught that way, then there are other people that make money off of it. And it's despicable in the eyes of God. There's only one race. And it's what? It's what? It's the human race. And one day the Lord Jesus Christ will eliminate this from his people totally. Amen? You need to see that holiness is attached to your desires. If we could deal with this at the desire level, we could get you to a place of greater holiness. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord. What does that mean, Pastor? It means to derive your greatest pleasure from your relationship with God. Come on, confess that with me. I derive my greatest pleasure from my relationship with the Lord. Now, you may have just lied by confessing that. I don't know. But let's do it again. Amen. It was fun. Say it with me. I derive my greatest pleasure from my relationship with the Lord. That's what delight means. And the scripture says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now this happens to be the very scripture that Kelly used to land me as a husband. So it does work. Yeah. And uh, she, she stood on that scripture, she confessed that scripture, and then she chased me. And I just got tired of running. And I just turned around and I said, you win, amen. <laughs> i tell you how, how precious she is. Uh, when my dad got sick, I got admitted to CCU. She was there through the night, Wednesday night. She was there through the night, Thursday night. She was there through the night on Friday nights. That's the kind of woman of God she is. I wish you'd give her a hand clap. We appreciate her. But I want you to, I want you to understand that when you delight yourself in the Lord and you derive your greatest pleasure from Him, this scripture has a, has a double barrel meaning. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. It means that He plants those desires there. And as you fellowship with him, he'll plant the desire for things that are holy, things that are right, things that are good, things that are profitable, instead of things that are destructive. But not only does he plant the desires, he turns right around and grants the desires. Come on, say he plants and he grants. That sounds like to me the recipe for any of us to walk in a place of holiness before our God. If we start with godly desires, it's going to produce a granting of godly outcomes in us. It's what I call divine desires. 
And divine desires are simply this, desires that are fashioned by the influence of the Holy Spirit on our hearts as we grow and are transformed in Christ. We begin to desire things that are divine instead of things that are carnal, natural, earthly, that are passing away. Look at somebody and tell them, he plants and he grants. The problem is a lot of Christians are exposing themselves to things that are causing other things to be planted. Amen. What are non-divine desires? John describes this in 1 John 2. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So there are desires for God, there are desires for the things of this world. Desires for the things of God, you're going to survive and thrive. This world and its desires are going to pass away. Holiness can then be described as the ever-increasing development of divine desires in your life. Say it with me, holiness is the development and the pursuit of godly desires, divine desires in my life. In other words, you know, uh, worldly Desire may be to get even with somebody, but a godly desire is to bless them. Amen. Somebody else may just want to let somebody have it, but all that can come out of your mouth because of divine desires is the love of God and the mercy of God. Amen. You know, anybody can yield to the flesh. It takes spiritual maturity to develop godly desires and pursue those and see them realized in your life. Give you one example. James 4.1 says this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? What's he saying? He is saying here that strife is a result of ungodly desires. Whenever you have strife, this is just an example between two people, uh, or say the Hatfields and McCoys. Do you know that we bought land from people called McCoy? Guess that makes me a McCoy now. Amen. Praise the Lord. But you take strife between two people, one or both of them are functioning with ungodly desires. If both of them had divine desire, you would not have the strife in that situation. So what you want to make sure, as much as lies with you, live at peace with all men, make sure that you're functioning in divine desires. Can I have a good amen today? Why is a return to holiness necessary? Well, first of all, popular Christianity is taught that we have liberty. We have grace as Christians and anything goes. Well, can I tell you something? Not just anything goes. The Bible says we'd be given freedom, but we're not supposed to use that freedom as an excuse for sin. Let me try that one more time. We have liberty, but that liberty is to honor God, not to do what you want. And I don't believe in casting stones and belittling ministries and putting them down, whether they're doing good things or whether they've had some serious issues come up. But I tell you this, there is a certain vein in the body of Christ preaching liberty, preaching what we would call hyper grace. In other words, God gives you grace not just to be forgiven. He gives you grace so you won't sin in the first place. Grace is power not to do, not just to be forgiven when you do do. Do you see this today? 
And this vein has produced just legions of people who, who don't care about, you know, personal morality and personal integrity, don't care about, you know, the things they consume, the things that they do. And whenever you get like that, that force of unholiness will result in you doing things and going places you never dreamed you'd go. Divine desires will take you to a higher level of divinity, but if you yield to certain things, that thing will take you a lot further down the road than you ever intended. And oftentimes when you see scandals in the body of Christ, it started with people not walking in personal holiness. Amen. Say it with me. Holy is the Lord. So now we've got to deal not just with what the world is trying to do, but people inside the church telling you, it don't take all that. You can do whatever you want to do. It doesn't make any difference. A major evangelical leader just the other day reemphasized his position that all that matters is Jesus. It doesn't make any difference if the word of God is inerrant or not. But can I tell you, it's the inerrant word that tells us about a perfect Jesus. All I'm saying is, how dumb can you be? If the word is irrelevant, then so is our faith in Christ. Be careful. What you chew on out there just might kill you. Number two, Christians have focused on outward conformity at the expense of inward sanctification. Look the right part, talk the right part, seem the right part. You know, God is looking for mostly a, an integrity of heart above all things. That will affect everything else. Amen. Number three, Christians in droves are living in defeat and they don't know that a lack of holiness is the reason. Let me say this. Droves of Christians across the body of Christ are living in defeat. Go from failure to failure, frustration to frustration. You know, this is wrong, that's wrong. Devil popping up here, devil popping up there, bondage over here, bondage over And they don't understand why they're in defeat. And I'm here to tell you, as a pastor who wants to operate in integrity, oftentimes it's personal holiness that's the open door to the issue. So if you're not being taught holiness by your church, they're actually letting you down. I'm telling you, it's time to find every door. And it's not a, a mystery or a coincidence that, that Todd presents what he presents in his exhortation. And I get up here, you know, we, I called him at 2 o'clock in the morning and said, Hey, Todd, let's set this thing up. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's not for our harm. It's for our benefit. Because people's lives are being destroyed, even in the church, and the culprit is personal holiness. The culprit is thinking things or doing things or beholding things or holding things they shouldn't be doing. And it's just messing their lives up. Meanwhile, you get in the pulpit and the pretty boys are telling you, it doesn't make any difference what you do. Well, you know what? You can tell yourself all day long and drink that strychnine. It won't harm me. It won't harm me. It won't harm me. But it'll kill you. Just because you don't think it will kill you, it still will. And our responsibility is to tell you just plainly, it's not just God just to kill joy and doesn't want you to have any fun. He wants you to have the most abundant life you could possibly have. He came that you might have life and have it more abundantly to the full till it overflows. He is the biggest cheerleader you've got for a great life. And the only way to have that great life is to live according to his word. 
to let righteousness have its force and its weight in your life and let it produce holiness in you. Let him tell you things that need to go from your life. Let him speak to you about things you've gotten lazy about. Return to holiness and you'll live your best life. Versus I have liberty and grace and I can do what I want. People are dying in the body of Christ. People are being killed spiritually. They're in defeat. And this is the culprit. How dare we as preachers not tell people the truth? Amen. It's getting quiet here in this Presbyterian church, so I'm just going to move on. Abiding, number four, is obeying. If we're not growing in holiness, we're not abiding in him. And that means that Psalm 91 doesn't really apply to us because we're not really abiding in the shadow of the Almighty if we're not obeying Him. Say it with me, to abide means to obey. So if it's a secret thing or if it's something you hold on to, you're just mad and you're going to stay mad, you're upset, you're holding on to this thing, understand this, by holding on to that pet thing, you're not abiding. And all the promises for the abiders, they don't apply to you. Because you're not holding on to the Word of God. You need to let go of that thing. Amen? I said you need to let go of that thing. Hallelujah. Number five, a lack of holiness drains the believer of power and effectiveness. It drains the believer of power and effectiveness. We're born again, and then we're baptized in the Holy Ghost. Jesus said, and this power shall come upon you. Everybody say, thank God for the Holy Ghost. But then we're turning right around and being drained of power by a lack of holiness in our lives. Jerry Savelle began to teach this strongly in the 80s, as did Gloria Copeland. They used to make fun of Jerry. In fact, some of his friends started calling him Holy Jerry. Laugh all you want to, but it's the key to victory in your life. And I'm not talking about rollers. I never rolled in the aisle. I never jumped a pew. I'm not even sure I ever saw a holy roller. God could care less how you roll or don't roll. What he cares about is the integrity and holiness of your heart that manifests itself in behavior and conduct in words and attitude. Can I have an amen? So important to get a hold of this. It's draining the believer of power and effectiveness. One man of God said it like this, sin makes cowards of men. Come on, say it. Sin makes cowards of men. So why be holy? Oh, first, God expects it. Write that down. God expects holiness. Scripture says in 1 Peter 1.15, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. What's the main reason you should be holy? Because he's holy. If there was no benefit to it, that's reason enough to what? Aren't we called to be imitators of God as dear children, Ephesians 5, 1? 1 Thessalonians 4 says this, it pleases him and we're called to a holy life. You can read that passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 through 8. Say it with me, it pleases him. And the Bible says we're called to a holy life. You're called to a certain calling. Number two, it's the key to being used by God. Raise your hand if you want to be used by God in these end times. 
First, uh, 2 Timothy 2 says this in verse 20, In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared for, you know, to do any good work. Religion taught for years that God will make you a clay pot or a gold pot or a silver pot. It's up to God. But God says in His Word, no, 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 it's up to you. In other words, if you'll be a pot that his anointing can flow through, that's a decision you have to make by making sure that pot is clean. Come on, say it. My pot. My responsibility. Say it again. My pot. My responsibility. You can hand wash it, put it in dishwasher, whatever you need to do. Amen. And I've never understood these commercials where you take dishes after something's baked on and stick it in the dishwasher. I don't believe that. Why do you wash and then wash? Because the dishwasher really doesn't do that. <laughs> my, uh, my dad's best friend, Joe, is a state trooper in Missouri. He had a daughter, had a brand new, really expensive dishwasher put in there that claimed to do this. And so she stuck all that stuff in there. And then her daddy got a call. <laughs> Everything stopped up, and you come over and fix this thing. He said, "What did you do?" Well, it said I could put all the stuff in there, and I mean, he just he just you know, just scooped out all kinds of junk from that dishwasher. Well, amen. You're called to clean your pot. He cleanses himself. Amen. Will be a vessel unto honor. Why be holy? God expects it. Why? It's the key to being used by God. Third, it's required to see God. Hebrews 12, 14, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy without holiness. No one will see the Lord. And again, a double application here. You won't see him literally, but you will not have revelation of God in the things of God without holiness. How many like to understand more about the things of God in the times we live in? We need revelation like never before. Your revelation will stop if you do not deal with the things that God is wanting to deal with you about. It will stop. Your revelation will not go past your level of holiness. Say that with me. My revelation will not go past my level of holiness. Amen. Glory to God. Everybody say, goody, goody, goody. I love holiness sermons. Praise the Lord. Come on. Goody, goody, goody. <laughs> if you understood the back end, you would just celebrate right now. Amen. You can, go to, you can go to dinner and say, my pastor, amen, stepped on all ten of my toes, both ears and my nose. And I am so happy. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. I started confessing things I didn't even know I did. Praise the Lord. <laughs> That's because we've been taught religiously that repentance is negative. It's the greatest gift we could have. For the Spirit of God to isolate something and deal with us and we get out there and we repent of it and we put it under the blood. Amen? It's a good thing. Number four, there's protection in holiness. Deuteronomy 23, 14. For the Lord your God moves about in your camp to protect you and to deliver your enemies to you. Your camp must be holy so that he will not see among you anything indecent and turn away from you. Protection and holiness Go together. You see it again in, in Psalm 91. Say it with me. Protection and holiness go together. 
And uh, we don't have any holiness police here. We have a thing called the Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen. Turn to somebody and say, I'm not your Holy Ghost. Look back and say, you're not my Holy Ghost. But if there's something there, you have to understand it can compromise your protection and the protection of other people. It's very important you see this. Number five, it impacts our prayer life. Sometimes we pray, we don't think it's getting past the ceiling, and sometimes it's not getting past the ceiling. Because the scripture says, Psalm 66, 17, and 18, I cried out to him with my mouth, his praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. It's very, very real that if you've got something he's been dealing with you about and you won't pay any attention to him, you don't respond to his conviction, you might as well go ahead and deal with it because you're not going to get very far in your walk with God until you deal with it. Make a difference if it's 10 years, 5 years old, a year old, or something God talked to you about last week. Just deal with it. Turn to somebody and tell them, just deal with it. Come on, shout it out, just deal with it. One more time, say, yay! I love holiness messages. <laughs> this crowd over here is not convinced, so let's help them out. Amen? Let's start, try it one more time. I love holiness messages. I'm not calling y'all heathens. Now settle down over there. Now settle down. <laughs> I know what it is. You're in deep thought. Deep thought. Why should we? Because of all the works that are accomplished because of it. Amen. The victory that you have. Isn't it better to go to sleep at night knowing there's nothing between you and God? And a bunch of things you won't deal with? That bondage that's been lingering over your life? Yes. To sleep in peace before the Lord knowing Everything's right. Everything's right between you and him. Well, I want to just teach you a few moments about how to cultivate holiness or cultivate divine desires in your life. Number one, apply the blood of Jesus. It gives you the power to break from anything you might be dealing with. You think it's too hard for God? No, nothing can stand in the way of the blood. Hebrews 13, 2 says, And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Hebrews 10, 10, For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. When God reveals something to you, you just say, You know what? I just plead the blood over this thing. I thank you. I am free from that bondage, free from that attitude, you know, free from that line of thinking, free from that direction in my life. I am free by the power in the blood of Jesus. And if you need to, go ahead and get you some grape juice out and a cracker and take communion over that thing. One of the most powerful things you can do to cut something off your life is take communion over it. Because it's reminding you of the efficacy, the authority, and the power in that blood. Number two, real quickly, fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Because that brings knowledge and conviction. Somebody asked me one time, what's the most outstanding thing about being baptized in the Holy Spirit? Well, one of the, the most critical factors is that it makes you more sensitive to conviction. When you receive the Holy Ghost, it doesn't diminish conviction, it increases conviction. And I found that out years ago when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, and so there was a whole list of things in my life that had no business being there I would have never known had I not had more of Him. So the more of a spirit you get, the more conviction there's going to be. Well, pastor, you just removed any incentive I had to get more of the Holy Ghost. 
Only if you look at it as a negative. You want to see it as a positive. He's conforming you to the image of Christ. That's a good thing. So the more you fellowship with him, the more he's going to reveal things. That's a positive thing. Romans 15, 16 says, He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that he, the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And remind yourself here what Galatians 5, 16 says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh, listen to this, desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do, are not to do whatever you want. There's that concept about desires. The more you fellowship with the Spirit of God, the more He's going to point those out. And what's going to happen is, divine desires are going to be produced, and fleshly desires are going to go by the wayside. So don't say, I don't want to be a part of this. I want more of the Spirit of God. Turn to somebody and say, I want more. More of the Spirit. You know, and I'll say this again in this context. Um, you, you can go to church in America month after month and not be convicted in certain places. But in churches where the uncompromised word is preached and the Spirit of God is honored and allowed to move, you will do one of two things. You will either change or you will leave. Nobody wants you to leave. Everybody wants you to change. But when you're in a church that is alive, alive by the Word and by the Spirit, you're going to hear things. Well, that preacher said this to me. Are you sure it was the preacher? Huh? It could have been who? Most likely who was it? We're just the mouthpiece. We're just the vessels. He's the Lord. He's the true teacher of the church. I could be up here saying Mary had a little lamb and you've fallen under the power of God under conviction. Why? Because the Spirit of God is interested in talking to you about you. Amen. And you'd be amazed. People will come with a conviction by the Holy Ghost and instead of saying, yes, I will change, yes, I will deal with that, they'll withdraw from that environment, and instead of accepting what God's trying to do, they become negative towards the message and the messenger. Listen, the message and the messenger aren't the problem, and the Holy Ghost certainly isn't the problem. The problem is you're stiff-necked. And a stiff-necked man after many reproofs will what? Suddenly be destroyed without remedy, Scripture says. So what we want to make sure is to get all of him we can in church and privately and then listen to what he has to say. Amen. Conviction is not a bad thing. Amen. Glory to God. Say it. I'm in a word church. I'm in a Holy Ghost church. What does that mean, Pastor? It means God's going to talk to you from time to time. And when he does, don't blame me. I don't carry that kind of clout. You can hear sounds going into your ears, but only the Spirit of God can permeate your heart. Amen. Number three, spend time in the Word. Like never before. Why? Because it will separate you from things. Brother Copeland used to tell this story. It, uh, 
Hilton Sutton years ago was here. He did a seminar on the Holy Spirit, seminar on Revelation. And uh, back in those days, they were doing these three-week meetings every single day, morning and night session, morning, afternoon, night sessions. And uh, he, he was smoking. This was early in his ministry days. And right around the time God called him, he was a heavy smoker. I can't remember how many packs of uh, you know, cigarettes he smoked. And uh, so he would, he would have good intentions. And so he would decide, ah, I'm getting rid of these things. And he would throw them out the window on the highway. And then he would drive back and pick them up again. Some of you can't relate to that. And um, he'd just try and try and try, you know. And then uh, he was able to get into this meeting. And he said, I remember putting those cigarettes up in the, in the visor, you know, up there. And just left them there. And then went into the meeting. And then one day passed, and two days passed, and three days passed, and a week passed, and 10 days, and 14 days passed, then three weeks passed. And you notice he hadn't reached for him one time while he was under the Word. You know why? Because the Word will separate you from things. You're not, you're not bound to do these things on your own, your own power. But if you desire to be separated from things that are not of God, it'll help you. Amen. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them by thy truth. Your word is what? Truth. Ephesians 5 says this, To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. How is he going to have a church without spot or wrinkle? Through the word of God. Folks, somebody in town, get into the word like never before. What's going to happen when you do, it's going to separate you from some things. You spend more time in it, that attitude, that habit, that bondage, that addiction, that way of thinking, that way of doing. God will separate those things from you as you spend time. Say it with me. The Word of God is supernatural. It will separate you from things you have no business being involved in. Amen? Somebody that could be you know, an alcohol problem. For some people, that could be cigarettes. Somebody, you know, it could be a, a tail-bearing habit. Who knows what it is? But it'll separate you. Say it with me. Apply the blood. Fellowship with the Spirit. Spend time in the Word. Number four, and this is one you'll love. Watch your mouth. Amen. It's not practical to sew your mouth shut. Not even practical to duct tape it shut. So we're going to have to find some other solution here. Isaiah 6.5 says this, Woe to me at his calling. I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So here's Isaiah. He's having an open vision of the Lord sitting high and lifted up. He's in the presence of God. What did I tell you about the presence of God? Conviction is going to come. Now think about this. Of all the things Isaiah could have been convicted of in terms of sin, the thing he's convicted of is his mouth. I don't know what else was going on in his life. All I can tell you is this. The thing that, that God brought to his attention was his mouth because that's the thing he confesses. That's the thing that he repents of. James 3 said it like this in 1 and 2. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Shout it out. A perfect mouth leads to a perfect life. 
And just because you have an opinion doesn't mean you should share it. Turn to somebody and tell them, study to be quiet. Come on, shout it out. Study to be quiet. A perfect mouth leads to a perfect life. Scripture tells us in Matthew 12, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The NIV says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So until you can change the contents, amen, shut thy mouth. Our band director years ago, and choir director in high school, she used to, you know, get so frustrated with everybody, she's just trying to say, shut up and be quiet at the same time. And so she started saying, she quiet. <laughs> so when she said she quiet, we were in trouble at that point in time. And she was about 275 pounds and her name was Bert. Get the idea. Turn to somebody and tell them, she quiet. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good or make a, a tree bad and its fruit will be bad for a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on that day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you'll be acquitted and by your words you'll be what? Condemned. And I would say the same thing. Um, Isaiah is, uh, is pre-New Testament. Isaiah is before the new birth. Isaiah is before the baptism in the Holy Ghost. And the one thing he becomes conscious of in God's presence is what? Is the mouth. Amen. So that means stop the cussing. Amen. Stop the gossiping. Stop the tail-bearing, amen? Stop the exaggerating. Stop the lying. Stop the misrepresenting God's word. Stop taking his name in vain, amen? Stop saying things that contradict God's word. Put your words back in line with what God's word says. Declare what God says over your life because it's always true. What he says, you know, and for some people, it's, it's not going to be they're in, they're in bondage to alcohol or some drug. For some people, it's not going to be they're just flamed, you know, with bitterness and unforgiveness. For some people, they're just too casual with their mouth. And just by letting God deal with that, you're going to the next level in terms of your holiness. Our mouth is the seat of our authority. Our mouth should be producing victory for us. It should not be causing defeat in our lives. But a lot of Christians are defeated because of that little hole underneath their nose. Amen? Come on, turn to somebody with love in your eyes and tell them, Shaquiet! Come on, one more time. Everybody shout it out. Shaquiet! What do you need to do? Be slow to become angry. Slow to speak. Quick to listen. Too many people in the church are what? Slow to listen, quick to become angry, and supernaturally fast to speak. Raise your hand if you ever said something you wish you could take it back. Raise it up high. Got two hands up, a foot up. Come on, say it. Holiness is good. 
Well, raise your hand again. If you ever said something, you wish you could take it back. Amen. But from now on, when you're tempted, here's what you do. You look in the mirror and you say, She's quiet. Because at the end of the day, nobody can do it for you. Now, if you'll be real sensitive, you'll hear the Holy Ghost in there saying, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. Don't say it. Don't say it. And you say, I wish it would just scream. You wouldn't listen to that either. But I will promise you this. Before you commit to any sin, the Spirit will always talk to a Spirit-filled believer. Always. And he'll say, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. Amen. I would get a kick if he said to me one time, shut quiet now. Amen. You said it, and I'm going to repeat it. Glory to God, shut up. Amen. It's a whole lot better that you didn't say it than have to what, deal with all the damage it caused. Because James describes the tongue as this world, amen, that is on fire and sets everything on fire, which means it's destructive unless you bend it back according to the things of God in the right direction. Amen. Turn to somebody and tell them, watch your mouth. Say it again, watch your mouth. So what God's wanting to do is through the blood of Jesus and through the presence of God and through the word of God and through diligence in the area with your authority, the seat of your authority, the mouth, he's wanting to produce divine desires in you. If we switch out the desires, you're going to pursue divine desires and holiness is going to be the natural byproduct of those divine desires. Amen. It's a whole lot easier to deal with these things at the desire level, amen, than after there's already a conception of sin and ultimately a, a pro, you know, production of death because of that. Amen. The church needs to return to holiness. I said the church needs to return to holiness. Amen. How many are you committed to doing that in your life? Raise your hand if you'll be more sensitive to hear his voice. And when he does, don't rationalize it away. Don't make excuses for it. And don't say, but what about them? That didn't work very well when Peter pointed out, John, it won't work for you either. What about them? The Holy Ghost is talking to you. What about what? You. Would you bow your heads for just a moment as you stand to your feet?